You're listening to South Bend Beat, produced by Alpha Dog Podcast. This week on South Bend Beat, we have Josh Sisk. Josh is the executive director of the Potawatomi Zoo. Uh, he's the man that runs the show, and we talked all things zoo. It's a pretty impressive background. Got his master's at Miami University. Uh, he's been at the Bronx Zoo. He's been at the Greater Los Angeles Zoo. Uh, and then went back to the Los Angeles Zoo and then came back to South Bend. Uh, it, it, he has a really cool story, story about how much he loves South Bend and coming back and how he plans to stay here. And we talked a lot of animals. Uh, some of you probably know that Jordan Hall, big zoo guy, big animal guy. So I let him take over for a while and they talked shop. And it was just a good conversation and actually broke some news too. Everyone knows about the drafts coming. He broke news on another animal they're getting. So listen in for that. And this episode, of course, is brought to you by Martin Supermarkets. Martins-Supermarkets.com. March Madness is coming up. You need food. You need drink. Go to Martins. They have you all taken care of. Sit back. Watch a bunch of basketball. At Martins Martins. At Martins Markets on social media. Martins-Supermarkets.com. And you can do the groceries to go. Uh, If you're in a little bit of a time crunch, you get back to basketball. Do it up. They'll take care of you. So go check out Martin Supermarkets. Here is our conversation with Josh Sisk, Potawatomi Zoo. Enjoy. Josh, how are we doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me in. Weather's starting to turn. Uh, yeah, we're uh, we're definitely in the spring uh, cleaning now and getting the zoo ready for uh, opening. So what's it look like from a zoo standpoint? For like everybody else, our yards, once the snow goes away, it's kind of like, well, that's been sitting there all winter. Is it the same thing in the zoo where you have to do a little bit of cleanup? It is, but you know, we're actually lucky this year because usually, you know, in an Indiana winter, we'll get clear to almost the day before we open and there <laughs> still could be snow on the ground. So we are getting a good head start on it. So yeah, there's tons of leaves and debris and uh, just a lot to clean up for to get ready for opening in April. So a very baseline question. What does it look like for like the animals in the zoo in the winter, do, do some leave during the winter and come back or they all just stay there? They have indoors, that kind of thing. Yeah. So we all, all the animals at the zoo, if, if we're going to get them, we have to commit to the winter, of course. So we, uh, it, it depends on the species that uh, we have, you know, some winter species like the tigers that come from Russia and the talking that come from, you know, high altitudes that can withstand the temperatures. They do mm-hmm. have heated places they can go to if they want, but then the tropical animals, like some of the primates have buildings that they go into that have sunroofs, um, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, the, the rhino even has a big heated barn. It's amazing. People don't realize that even these ex- uh, exotic animals, when it's 20 degrees, just like us, will still go out and run around the snow as long as they have a heated place to go to. So, Are there any animals that love, I'm thinking like a husky with a dog that just loves to be outside. Do any of the animals love to be outside when it's cold? Uh, pandas love it. The red yeah. pandas, uh, the snow leopards, given their name, mm-hmm. uh, the talkins, a big one. They uh, And the, even the, the um, tigers, you'll see them rolling in the snow and they have a good time. That's it. cool. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about your background. Are you from here originally? See, no, I'm not from here. I'm from the Midwest, so I'm from Missouri. Uh, I was born and raised out okay. on a farm outside of Kansas I'm from, City. I'm from Kansas. Oh, are you? So okay, yeah, so you're yeah. Kansas boy. Yeah. You got it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, and I, you know, animals was always a thing for me growing up. Um, 
looking back on it, I probably had animals that a kid in a private field should probably not have had. I had things. I took in a lot of animals from the conservation department, so I had a black bear and a mountain lion. And Wait, what? Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Yeah, I had, my parents were very um, uh, Wait, very so you supportive. grew up with a black bear? Yeah, and a mountain lion. <laughs> so what I would do is I'd work with the and, uh, and I don't. I'm not recommending growing up now working in zoos. I see that that's not something a kid should have. So I'm not condoning that by any means. But it was the background I had. Um, but they all were all rescues. They were an the animals that were confiscated. Uh, the mountain lion came from a drug house that was raided, and they had found a uh, mountain lion. They just had a mountain they lion? They had a mountain lion. So we had a big farm, and we would take them. Um, but then, yeah, when I was 21, I kind of got this little acting bug and thought I wanted to go out to California, moved out to Los Angeles, and did that for a year, and then got back, was really missing the animals, and got back at the L.A. Zoo, and then that's when my career really took off. So I have a quick question before we get back to your career. You mentioned you wanted to go act and everything. What uh, what movies that depict zoos are best? Are there any real good ones? I can think of one with Kevin James. Have you seen that one? You, I have seen that one. Yes. Is that one good? It was good. That's good. Okay. One. That's good one. What's the one? What's the recent one? The cartoon actually with the penguins and the in the Central Park Zoo. Um, oh, what was that? Cartoon Zoo Central Park. Um. So this says Madag Madagascar. Madagascar. That's okay. all, gosh, Madagascar. I, I had that in my head a million times. It was such a big bet. That one is good. You know why I like it? Because a lot of times in movies, they depict zoos as prisons or places mm -hmm. that animal don't want to be. And what I really liked about that was when the penguins got off that boat in Antarctica and they go, what the heck are we doing here? Let's get back to the zoo where we're actually taken care of yeah. and things are. And that was one of the first movies I've actually seen. It's like, now that's right. That's the way. That's Because that's how we feel with zoo, you know. Um, do we want animals in the wild? Absolutely. But the care that we give and the welfare and just really understanding animals' behaviors and stuff, we know that we give them a great life at the zoo. And so that that's, I think, one of the movies that jumps in my head. I'll have to check it out. But then that Matt Damon, We Bought a Zoo. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really enjoy that, that, that movie as well. Yeah. yeah, there's a few zoo movies, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. So let's go back to... Um, you're not going to act anymore, and then you transition into your professional career. What did I that did. Look like? So this isn't on my resume, but I got a job at the Playboy Mansion. I took care of the animals at Hugh oh, Hefner's yeah, mansion. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Yeah, I know. That's you it. grew up with a black bear and a lion. Yeah, you go to L.A. I to write act. a book, yeah. You end up at Hugh Hefner's mansion taking yeah. care of the animals. Yeah, so Hugh Hefner, he has a whole bunch of, he has exotic birds, aviaries, primates, all I've kinds seen, of stuff. Have you seen the show Entourage? Oh, yeah. On yeah, HBO? Yeah, yeah. There's the one story arc where I think it was Pauly Shore tried to release some of the animals and drama couldn't get in. So, like, you have real knowledge about what the animals yeah. are doing there. <laughs> yeah, and do, he has yeah. some crazy animals. He does, right? yeah. And I have to say, he's a, he, in his time, I mean, he, there is, you know, we don't condone private people having exotic animals, but he truly is a conservationist. He was very supportive of the work zoos are doing, and he really, um, he, he was really into that as well. So I, I really enjoyed working there. Um, but that was a short-lived. I, I actually got on at the Los Angeles Zoo, because um, that's really education, conservation was the real path I wanted to take and for almost 12 years was at LA Zoo worked my way up through the ranks of supervisor uh, got, got the opportunity to go to Central Park Zoo in New York uh, then was promoted to the Bronx as a curator so I spent about six years in New York and then got a call through the AZA our association organization that there's this uh, you know medium-sized zoo in this town called South Bend and I'm like South Bend, and I know so I'm, I'm LA to I'm, New York and to I'm, South Bend. I hate to even admit this because I'm gonna get shamed so much. But they're like, you know, Notre Dame, and I'm like, no, tell me Notre oh Dame. I know, I know, I'm horrible. <laughs> I'm an animal. I was in my whole life has been animals. That's all I was. Maybe the kid. if instead of a leprechaun as logo, it was an animal, you would have been <laughs> yeah. better off. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I have to say, I came out here uh, and saw so much potential in the zoo. 
Uh, there was a lot of animals that they there was empty exhibits that have been empty for 10, mm -hmm. 20 years. And so there was something about it that triggered me to come out here. And within that first year, brought in 130 animals, um, uh, probably 18 different species. And I've really just fallen in love with this community, bought a house here, um, and just so excited about this zoo. So I'm, I'm going to be here. So That's exactly what we want to hear. So L.A. Yeah. to New York. Yeah. To South Bend. Now, I will say, so I was here for two years in South Bend and um, was offered a position to go back to L.A. thinking I wanted to go back. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a true testament to South Bend is I actually left and went back to Los Angeles and I really missed it here. Um, awesome. And I uh, uh, the board had me come back and then I just took over as the director in this past November. So and when I had the opportunity to come back, I jumped on it. So how many zoos does New York have? No, gosh. So Bronx and Central Park are two different. So the Wildlife mm -hmm. Conservation Society is one of the largest organizations um, for uh, accredited zoos. They have over 2,000 scientists just in the field alone wow. all over the world. Um, so they oversee the Queen Zoo, the Brooklyn Zoo, um, the Long Beach Aquarium, uh, the uh, Central Park Zoo, Prospect Park Zoo. So they, 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 there's several zoos. That they, and then, of course, the, the mothership is uh, the Bronx Zoo. What are some other zoos across the country that have been some of your favorites or that you've even heard, say, someone's – two or three, four zoos that should be on their checklist for the United States, other than Potawatomi Zoo? Other than Potawatomi, of course. Um, you know, local zoos here, you know, Fort Wayne has a great zoo, but I, I would say um, Omaha, Nebraska. That's what I've been telling him, is yeah. Omaha. They, they do a great it's, – it's the Midwest – you know, St. Louis Zoo. We have some really, really nice zoos around us here. Um, you know, of course, there's San Diego. Um, when I was living in L.A., San Diego Zoo's a two-day <laughs> adventure. Oh, is so, it really? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, so it's great, the Wild Animal Park there and everything. Um, you know, there's just, there is, there's so many, the Hogel Zoo in Utah, I mean, is a great zoo. There, there's a, just so many is great zoos. Salt Lake zoos. City? Salt Lake City, yeah. I went to that zoo, yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, I mean, Akron Zoo's a great zoo, Toledo Zoo. I mean, we got, even just around us, we've got some great zoos. So how, what does your short-term versus long-term look like for, you've now built it into, and it's on its way to becoming even more so, like one of the premier mid-sized, mid-sized city zoos in the country is it just balancing like this is what we want to get done short term this is what we want to get done long term um i know jordan's gonna get into this but like is that how the drafts played into it is that something that was a while in the works it is you know it's so as we if we're going to truly so our goal is to build a modern zoo is what we want to do i mean we're finding it's harder and harder to legitimize the work that zoos are doing i mean the new age group um you know has a lot of anthropomorphic um perspectives on how animals think um and are quick to almost not agree with zoos. And so we know as a zoo, if we're really going to get the respect of the community um, as a true conservation education facility, we've got to modernize the zoo. So our main goal is, yes, we want to bring in exciting new things like the draft, but really focus on getting away from cages, um, making sure that we're providing enough space, um, being able to be involved in breeding programs and have that space to be able to hold them. So that's really what you're going to start seeing. Uh, you're starting to see here even at uh, Potawatomi is just that kind of transition into um, a place that when you come in, you're really proud of and you don't feel like they're, you know, we know in a cage that we're giving the absolute best care to those animals. It, it really is about perception. It's funny how if it's a cage, it's a cage, but then you could have the same amount of space, but have a waterfall in it and plants, and then it's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but the, the amount of uh, enrichment that we give, it just stimulus every day. And I mean, it's a testament to the uh, breed. We one of the top breeding uh, facilities for amber leopards, which there's only 60 left in the wild. Um, wow. So, you know, and that's one of the, if, if an animal's stressed, that's one of the first things that's going to stop is breeding. So, I mean, I just think that we've done, we're doing a lot of things right, you know? Love it. And I, I'm going to, 
give the floor to Jordan in a second. I have one more question before we do so. Yeah. Did you see Tiger King? I did. What'd you think of it? So, and you know, unfortunate, and that's the unfortunate part, because we're an accredited zoo, so we, we, we don't buy and sell our animals. It's all part of breeding programs, and we can talk a little bit about that. But, I mean, they're literally, a, a Lincoln Park Zoo is a population biologist that just look over the populations within accredited zoos. Mm-hmm. That's how we get giraffes. Um, we'll get a recommendation based Was on— Was Joe's zoo accredited? No, so they okay. weren't accredited, but they're a zoo. So, unfortunately— How does that work? Can you just call yourself a zoo? Yeah, so basically, because the term zoo is really just—it it's, it's in, it could be— I could open. You I mean you could buy a place on the side of the road, get a couple animals, put in a cage, and call yourself a zoo. So it's <laughs> that's what's hard for accredited zoos. And yeah. We're really trying to get out there. Is there are a difference in zoos where you go, just these roadside circus play. The, those, those aren't accredited zoos. It's those are just private individuals. The laws are getting stricter and stricter. So it, I just think unfortunately it gives everyone a bad name when you see things like that. So to me it's interesting to watch, just because it's important to see. Is what's it pretty out much there. limited to big cats that world? Um, no, or is it the main driver? No, it's cats? the main driver. I mean, I can tell you when I was younger. I mean, there, there's auctions that happen in the Midwest where I've seen black bear cubs going through a ring, just like a cattle auction, where there, wow. yeah, some really unfortunate, sad situations. But I, I, again, I think the laws are getting stricter and stricter that that's not going to be the case. But, um, but yeah, definitely, it's hard for people to lump those into something separate. So the whole time I'm watching it, as entertaining as it was, was just like, oh, this is what people are going to think of zoos yeah. now. This is not, this is not what zoos are. Well, Hopefully, you know. on the flip side, they appreciate the actual zoos even Absolutely. more. Absolutely. They see, Absolutely. They see what <laughs> this wild card can do. Sometimes I almost want to change the name. Like, and as you'll start to see <laughs> that. I think it's like, we're not a zoo anymore. We're uh, a different name, you yeah, know, yeah. It's, it's because to not be lumped into that. So, if you listen to the podcast network, you obviously know who Jordan is. Jordan, uh, and we got to it on his episode, Jordan is, to say the least, a big zoo guy. You, big, big zoo guy, yeah. For you. Sure. Bridges, zoos, and baseball, pretty much kind of your things. So bridges. I think yeah, he's a big bridge guy. I mean, he'll go on vacation. He'll just send me a picture of a bridge. Gorgeous all bridge. All the time, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I, and if you follow him on Instagram, it's pretty much all animals and zoo. He loves it. I think I would be doing a disservice to do this entire episode. So Jordan, <laughs> take over. Talk animals with Josh. First of all, all Kyle, right. I'd like to say that I appreciate. Um, I've I've worked with you for what a little over a year now, and yeah. I already have have made my way into every facet of Alpha Dog. So this is this yep. is good. Um, let's let's talk about the uh, accreditation process. I, I read that you re uh, you led the, the zoo through a re accreditation process. What did that entail, and what is the significance of that? So, yeah, so th- that's a good question. So the accreditation is it's uh, everything. It's everything from the finances to the animal welfare. There's a real top priority. Um, there's all these standards on how you care for certain species that are looked at. And there's there's an accreditation team within AZA. Um, it's the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. And they actually come out to the zoo, and they spend four to five days literally walking the entire zoo, looking at our education department. They met with city officials to see kind of what were the relationships we had with the city. They, um, they dove, they literally inspect every cage, every barn. Um, and we get in a complete, we actually go to a hearing at our at national um, conference where there is a group of professionals from zoos all across the country that review all the paperwork um, to determine whether or not you're accredited. So um, there's a lot to being accredited. One, you know, we don't buy and sell the animals. We have to be very careful where our animals go. I mean, we cannot send them to any place that may be a, a shooting range in Texas or anything like that. We have to, um, it, it's just really keeping everything in check. So it, it's a really prestigious uh, award to be to have. Now they the the Potawatomi Zoo had been and then lost it and then you brought it back. Is that no, correct? no, no, no. We so every five years it's reinstated. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I think what uh, that situation was, I had came into um, the director position two months before our reaccreditation. And I think, you know how when you see, when I was talking about the movie, We Bought a Zoo, like before USDA comes, yep. they're painting and they're doing. So, you know, you always want the zoo to be ready for AZA inspections. But just like anything, if you're getting inspected every five years, you know that six months before that, um, you are you want it pristine. So, um, so yeah, coming into this position two months before it and then just getting us through it, I think was why it was kind of mentioned as something special. So let's go back to uh, before you uh, joined the, the Potawatomi Zoo, the L.A. Zoo. We talked a little bit about this before the show. Uh, you went to battle with with Bob Barker, um, much like much like Happy Gilmore. You went toe to toe with Bob Barker and Cher um, over elephants at the L.A. Zoo. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, you know, I, again, I I, I want to be open to everyone's opinion on things. There, there's a lot of different opinions on how people feel about zoos um, and you know animals and zoos and how they're cared for. Um, it, and it's it's funny is because I we say I bring the mask thing up into this situation because. A lot of those people would tell you, you know, these people that have all these um, answers about this virus and masks, why don't we listen to the scientists? Why don't we listen to the professionals? We do that every day. I would never tell you how to do heart surgery. I'd let a surgeon tell you. I don't know anything about putting out a fire. I'd talk to a fire department. For some reason, when it comes to animals, <laughs> Everybody's it is amazing, the experts. <laughs> and it's purely, and I don't mean that, just, I'm, I'm be, I mean that with all due respect. And it's sometimes we, so, you know, you have all these professionals that have spent and dedicated their entire lives to this profession. You know, I've worked and got a master's degree in zoology, animal behavior, how animals think, and you can have all these people test, but you still have this group that is set on this as the way it is and are not open to the idea of what we do for conservation and, you know, building empathy with wildlife. So elephants is a big touchy subject um, because they're a large animal. They're very intelligent. And there is a group that would go against the L.A. Zoo, and we built uh, a $60 million elephant exhibit there. It was one of the biggest in the nation's full-time vet, exercised every day, like probably one of the most amazing lives that an elephant could have. And the city, being city, was getting sued um, by this activist group. Um, and it was a huge portion of my day was going downtown and, and fighting for this. And um, I'd go to hearings down for city council with Cher there and Bob Barker and um, – you know, I love Cher. I love, but I did. I kind of had my little 15 minutes of fame because I got up on the testimony after she had spoke. Because, you know, she got up there and she talked about animals getting poked with mm -hmm. it's the way they took care of elephants 40 years ago. Right. It didn't even compare yeah. to. But probably the top hit on YouTube. Yeah. You so I looked at her and I said, Cher, I love you. But if I want to learn about elephants, I'm going to talk to the professionals. And if I want to put on a concert, I'm going to talk to you. Yeah. And that made headlines. <laughs> it was on like Inside Edition, Access so what, Hollywood. What year are we it talking? Was, oh, gosh. This was. <sighs> this had to have been 15 years ago. So Twitter wasn't quite 14, popping yet? Because no, if you do that today, oh, it you're trending <laughs> for three days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, the LA Zoo still is fighting it. I mean, they're still dealing with this group and stuff. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's tough. But um, I guess that's my biggest thing. I, I'm big on everyone's can have their own opinion on things. But, man, it gets, it gets kind of daunting sometimes when you know that you've dedicated your life to something that you're doing so hard and – believe in so much and then you know so so let's go back even before that you did some field work in namibia south africa mexico do you have any uh exciting stories from being out in the wildlife that you can share with us oh gosh um you know i what was great about 
those trips is, you know, we always dream of going to Africa and it was through my master's program um, and they were research trips. So, you know, some of the guidelines where you get one backpack, um, two pairs of shorts, two shirts. And I love that. That's, I mean, that is the way to experience Africa. So there was no tour, like the typical tourism, you know, where they stage things and you drive around. Um, we were living in the bush. Um, honestly, this is kind of weird. It's, it, to me, the cultural aspect of things is really interesting to me. And I think that's what plays a huge part in conservation work was being able to live um, within the Samburu tribe um, and hear their perspective on wildlife and how they see the world and realizing that, you know, th this is a group of people that um, are just sort of trying to survive. You know, they're trying to feed their kids. They're trying to, you know, and then, you know, the Americans are there to save the zebras. You know, it's, it's kind of this funny thing. But, but the, what they realize is what comes with that is, is fine, is, is ecotourism, is money coming into there. So it's like, oh, let's save the zebras. You know, whether the motivation is because, you know, we're heartfelt, like we got to save the beautiful zebras. They see it as, wow, this, this does a lot for our community. Um, so it's kind of a win-win, and uh, that's why a lot of the conservation work's moving towards is you can't just go into an area and just tell people this is what you're going to do. You have to have a buy. What? How can you make it in their benefit to save wildlife? And I think so seeing that aspect of it and getting to just meet with the elders of the Samburu tribes and um, just getting to learn about their culture, and uh, that, that to me is, is pretty amazing. And just hear how they – I mean, we can learn a lot from – just from a spiritual standpoint on how they see wildlife and why they're here and just the har harmony between nature and animals and people it's i got the most out that was the most humbling and uh, great experience about these trips and it was kind of the same when i was in borneo um with the same just on a different scale borneo is that komodo dragons so i was there for primate research so we were doing orangutan study um so we were um literally tracking orangutans in the rainforest so it sounds like a dream. It was lots of leeches, though. <laughs> <laughs> less, less of a dream. <laughs> uh, so let's jump forward to your time at the the Bronx Zoo. Uh, obviously, fe the feature of of I believe it's just called the Zoo. It is correct called, yeah, on, yeah, on Animal yeah. Planet. Did you get to meet Jim and Kathleen? Oh yeah. So I was actually Kathleen's boss. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's... Yeah. So um, I. Uh, oh, so absolutely every day. Yeah. So. So she's. Probably, I would say she's the star of the show. Is is what we see on the screen her actual personality? Absolutely, yeah, That's awesome. absolutely. She's a lot of fun. Um, she's truly her whole world is the animals, um, and she's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Jimmy too. I mean, he's so dedicated to what he does. Um, they do some great work. So yeah, I remember right when I was leaving, that show was just getting started, um, and I'm glad that it was able to take off so much because it's again. I think getting transparency and getting people behind the scenes. Now there was a day where zoos didn't take people behind the scenes. You didn't, you had to be, it had to be kind of this, like everything's gotta be perfect. And I think that's when people start having these misunderstandings of zoos. I've noticed he, that's why we're doing here at Potawatomi. You can go now and meet the rhino behind the scenes. You're going to be able to feed the giraffes. You're going to actually be able to go in the giraffe barn. There's nothing off limits to the public. And I think that's how you buy people's respect and that transparency to see how these animals are cared for. other than this like secret back holding that these animals go to at night and, um, so the, the zoo was a really breakthrough program for zoos across the country. So on the whole, you're, you're very positive towards the idea of the, the zoo television shows. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have a yeah. favorite? I mean, there's what Columbus, you got San Diego, you got Tampa. Um, I, you know, what I think the Bronx one, because you know, what I think these, because they, they actually even 
they didn't pick and choose. I mean, there's one where they literally had a sick snow leopard. I don't know if you remember that one. And it unfortunately had to be euthanized. And I know that's a horrible, but it's the re they didn't hold back. They literally showed how, what the zookeepers and what the staff go through um, to do the work that they do. And sometimes I think that they, some of these shows kind of just glamorize it. And it's just, oh my gosh, I don't want to do that. They just play with animals all day. Um, but I think the Bronx did a good job of really showing what it's about and what we face and what we deal with. So I think that's one of my favorites. Also, hot tip for all the listeners out there. There's one called The Secret Life of the Zoo, which is uh, in Chester, England. Yeah, you, yeah. Where everyone has a British accent. That one is probably my <laughs> overall favorite TV show. I absolutely love that one. Plus, they have... I always say we should, there needs to be a reality show, though, about zoos where it actually talks about the keepers of the people, too. Because talk about person. You, when you get a bunch of animal people in a room together, you got a lot of strong personalities. <laughs> Interesting. I wouldn't have, would not necessarily have got that because you have to be very self-sacrificial to shovel poop daily. Well, you know what it is? It, no, and I mean this in a positive, good way, is, um, you know, when you have a job and your boss wants you to put it on pink paper, who cares? Put it on pink paper. That's what they want. When you have a job where you're so passionate about the animals you take care of and your management needs you to, you know, don't turn that heat lamp on. It's 45 degrees. Oh, no, my monkey needs that heat lamp. You just have a you have a degree of passion for your job, which is a good thing in these keepers that it does. It kind of makes it hard sometimes <laughs> because they are very passionate. <laughs> I mean, these are people that would come for free. If, like, we couldn't pay them tomorrow, would come to work. So. I, I would do that. I, I, in marketing now, I realize that I missed my, my calling to be a zookeeper, but I'm not going back to school, so that should be safe. All right, so let's, let's for, fast forward to the Potawatomi Zoo. I have some, some questions specifically about, about our zoo here in town. Um, for you personally, if space were not an issue, what would be the one animal you would love to bring in? Well, so you've heard the recent news that we're bringing in giraffe. So couldn't be more exciting. Exactly. And I have not to be not just because we're bringing a draft. That is truly my dream. I, um, I say this all the time. I was a draft keeper for about six years at the LA zoo. Um, and I always had, if I always say my second career would be, um, habitat design. I love designing the habitats and the barns. And even as a keeper, then I used to say that one day I was going to run my own zoo and I'm going to design my own African section. And it's going to be the barn of my dreams. It's going to have, because when you're a keeper and you're working somewhere, it's like, oh, I wish there was a door there. All oh, these drains don't work. So you always are thinking like, if I was to design this. So people say, I say like, you know, how did you design this barn and everything here so quickly? I, I say I've had 20 years to design it. So I've this literally is been, truly your baby. It really is. Yeah. So I worked with uh, Arcos Design. They're a local design company with Tyler Kelsey. And uh just kind of started drawing it out on paper and they started putting the vision and designing the stalls, how they shift, natural light. I mean, it is a state-of-the-art facility. It's over 10,000 square foot. It's going to have rubberized floors for hooves. It's going to have a communal stall that they can all be together in one stall that actually has sun coming in from both sides, air exchange every 20 minutes. Like, it, it's pretty – It's we did it right. It's cool. That's really sweet. Yeah. Speaking of, of very tall animals – Let's talk about the okapi a little. Yes. Cor Cor he loves Corky and Wills. <laughs> he loves this thing. So my wife and I, when we go to a zoo, we we don't just like look at the animal and move on. We're gonna we're gonna post up there for a few. And I love listening to people who just show up at the okapi and what they try to like explain to their kids. This thing is. I'm sure you've you've heard them all. For those of us at or for those at home who who aren't as familiar with an okapi, probably the most magical animal on earth, They're I would say. Could you explain how what it actually is, and maybe that it's not a giraffe and a zebra hybrid? No, we I always say if you were ever to describe this animal to someone, you'd think it's from a fairy tale. It's it's so unique. Um, yeah, it's the only living relative to the giraffe, so it is related to the giraffe. Um, but you know, a quarter of the size uh, has a striped behind, like a. Uh, 
like a zebra does. Uh, it's, it's fur, though. It's literally velvet like a chinchilla. It's got these huge ears. It's got the ossicone horns like a giraffe. Um, yeah, they're, they're one of the most unique animals. So they're not even really shaped like a, They're more like a miniature giraffe shape, not like a horse. Um, very elusive from the Congos of the Republic of Congo in Africa. Very little is known about them because of all the warfare that's happening in that country. A lot of scientists um, that have worked with them go years without even seeing one. It's all through camera traps and studying feces on the ground. Um, so they're a very unknown, elusive uh, animal. So it's pretty special that we have them, actually. Yeah, I was when we were thinking about moving here, and I was doing my research on the the local zoo <laughs> as one does. I was like, "Holy cow!" It actually it. played a big role for me. <laughs> I've allowed. I never thought a no coffee could make someone move here, but you'd be surprised. <laughs> All right. No, I, I actually appreciate hearing that because sometimes we, you know, there's there's animals like most people don't, you know, that's giraffes. Everyone's gonna be excited about. It. Everyone's gonna come to the zoo to want to see giraffes. Um, the okapi are kind of like the little hidden gem that people don't realize that how special that is that we have those. Um, you know, so. So walk us through the process of you. We recently brought in Masamba, uh, the rhino. Walk us through the process of what that looks like as far as, you know, identifying that this animal is available to come in and what I'm sure there's a, a million and one hoops you That's have to jump, question. jump through to, to actually get them here. Yeah. So I'll, I'll let me, I'll try to abbreviate this cause this could be a long conversation um, and not bore everyone. So it's, but it's pretty cool actually. So there's about 240 accredited zoos and within this uh, accredited zoos um, it's headquartered in Lincoln park is population biologists. And we do what's called breeding and transfer plans every year. So these scientists, literally look at all these populations and they keep track of genetics and who should be breeding with who and these programs are called species survival plans so if so if you ever heard ssp um so what happens is um like for instance for i'm the black diker it's a little antelope from africa it's i know it's random i'm their population manager so i if anyone wants a black diker that's who they reach out to so you can go into a directory within the aza you can find me i was the banded mongoose for a while um, and every year I'll work with these biologists. We run the numbers. Um, we get emails from zoos that may want them, and then they'll decide where these animals should go. So, for instance, the giraffe, knowing that gestation on a female giraffe is about 14 months, you want to, I want them to, I want the planning group to know soon that, you know, the Potawatomi Zoo is building a giraffe exhibit and we're going to need giraffes. So I let them know over a year and a half ago. And at our conferences, they'll have these big meetings. Everyone comes together. It's literally roundtable meetings, and they're pulling numbers up, and they have numbers, and they the whole thing about managing these populations is to ensure that in 100 years that we have sustainability, so we need good gene diversity. Uh, and then this literally a packet comes out to you, and it'll be the giraffe breeding and transfer plan, and it's kind of like you're excited. So you start going through it, and you find South Bend, and it'll say, like, number blah, 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 mail from X zoo to be sent to. So that's how you get your recommendation. And then it's up to the curators and myself then to reach out to those zoos and then we start coordinating it. So for instance, there's three haulers in the country for giraffes. Uh, we all know just through the network who they are. We'll call them, we'll set that up and our vet contacts their vets. They start pre-ships, they wanna check their fecals. We don't want any, we wanna make sure everything's healthy before they come into the zoo. Um, same with the rhino, we did the same thing with the rhino. There was a hauler that um, he gets with his buddy and they don't sleep and they drove him from San Diego and they never stopped and got him to the Potawatomi. So I'm trying to picture a giraffe hauler. I, are they seated or like, I, I'm, I'm not sure how a giraffe is fitting under most under. No, it's pretty cool. So if you look at it, it's a they basically have a horse trailer that's on hydraulic lifts. So the top of it's on a separate hydraulic lift and it lifts up to the height of a giraffe. So the giraffes will walk on, um, 
so that's funny is the draft can be 18 foot tall when they're standing straight up but it'd be like you as a human like we don't stand like a stiff straight up you know what i mean so when a draft's in a normal stance they actually have their neck out like this uh so it actually is shorter than what you think it is um, but they also don't like to be unsteady on their legs. So as soon as the trailer starts to move, um, it's pretty common. They'll just roll up. They'll lay their legs down and they'll ride. Do you ride. see this on the highway or is no, this some that's, country? Yeah, that's, <laughs> okay. that's not. When you see the movies with a giraffe head sticking out, we would never. I showed them a picture of like an open air from <laughs> yeah, no, the No, that's, that's okay. the movies we, okay. or maybe another country. <laughs> we, <laughs> right. we would never uh, put a giraffe through hauling like that. <laughs> so the flip side, obviously, of, of getting the new animal is on occasion you have to relocate an animal that you've come to to know and love to walk us through the the emotional process of knowing that it's best for this animal and for the con- conservation of the species that it moves on but like this is your connection you know what i think that and the keepers uh, are really it hurts them the most i think because they're on the day-to-day level of it but i think they understand that this really is uh for instance i mean here's a perfect example with our chimpanzees uh chimpanzees are very intelligent um, I mean, you can get a bond with them just like you would another human. I mean, we do with our dogs, but they are just so intelligent. We had three chimpanzees. Um, the zoo recognized the new standards are that chimps should be living in large social troops. They need the stimulus. That's how they live in the wild. They need a lot of flexibility. They need to be able to make a lot of choices. You know, and we, not that we weren't giving them the greatest care, but that if you saw the habitat that we have at the zoo, it's just not a modern chimpanzee exhibit. And we recognize that as a zoo, that we got to do right by these animals. And uh, that's why we're going to convert that actually to lions. But so we made the decision to uh, send them to a zoo where they can actually be with other chimps in a larger area. And I mean, these are keepers that have worked with these chimps for many, many, many years. But they were so excited about the fact that these chimps could go somewhere and going to live in green grass, like it, in such an environment with other chimps. Yes, they're sad, but I think the excitement of giving them a better life is far exceeds that. So they understand, you know, and they keep in touch with them and everything. So. They, they zoom with them. Yeah, yeah. They're good at seeing the bigger picture, I guess. So we, no matter what animal leaves, they know it's for the best. And, you know. So in, in 2020, the Lenny and Lola, the, the two-toed sloths, I believe they were off exhibit because they were in the inside the building um, that was obviously closed down due to COVID. What are the chances that we see them in 2021? You're going to say, I, we're going to, so we're going to open the learning center this year. Um, we're just going to wear masks going to the building and we may have to, on busy days, we're going to have to kind of confine or say, say how many people can go in. But uh, yeah, you'll be able to see the sloths. Um, we haven't told anyone this. I shouldn't even tell you because we haven't gotten them yet. But go we're ahead. Gonna, we got two more sloths coming. Hey, so. breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to have three sloths uh, in the learning center. So that's pretty exciting. So obviously everyone comes in, they love uh, Anyo, the tiger, the, or excuse me, the lion, the tigers, uh, some of the leopards. What is your favorite kind of non-big cat, under the radar type of animal at the Potawatomi Zoo? Uh, definitely the American porcupine, Humvee. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty cool. I think I think mine is is the painted dogs. They're they're yeah, a little no, hard to spot. Like, yeah, yeah. Those guys are awesome. I love those guys. Yeah, we have a plan. We're gonna we're actually when we do the so the chimp exhibit's actually getting converted into a lion exhibit. We're taking the walls down, filling it up. It's got it's getting a whole printing almost a million and a half dollars into it, and it's gonna be a really modern facility. But what we want to do is incorporate the dog exhibit across from it, that where you can actually go down that path and walk into the exhibit with a glass viewing. Um, so that you will be able to see them better because they are they're they're hard to see the way it is now. He's making note of that. <laughs> He's gonna hold me to it if not. Dang it, I shouldn't have committed. Like, you know, Josh, you said. <laughs> so um, this this is a, obviously a personal question. As somebody who lives slightly removed from wildlife, we live here in in 
northern Indiana. What can somebody like Kyle or I do uh, to help conservation just kind of on a daily basis? Uh, obviously, we care, care deeply about wildlife, but sometimes it feels hard to help when, you know, it's Borneo that the, the rainforests are getting cut down as opposed to s- stuff that's right here. You know what? I mean, not to be cliche. I mean, just coming to the zoo, you're, people don't realize. I think that's Done. that's the other. You know, that's the other thing we get sometimes is like it's funny with the draft thing. There was a few comments that oh, of course they're going to raise admissions now. There's drafts and they're going to be making more money off of them. And it's like we're a nonprofit. If any <laughs> any money, the the term nonprofit means you don't profit. Um, so any money that comes into the zoo goes back into the facility. I mean, it's a lot to expect people to know that you're nonprofit. It's not like you can easily find that out. <laughs> I know. So our money, I don't think people realize, even here at the Potawatomi Museum, we thousands and thousands of dollars go to conservation in the field. So, you know, when you're at the zoo and you're, uh, we're especially this year, uh, they ask you, do you want to, if you're, you know, hamburger comes to $3.85, do you want to upcharge to $4? That change directly goes to conservation work in the field. Um, we donate another $15,000 just right off the bat um, into conservation. So a couple thousand goes to Okapi research in the field. Um, so your funds, when you come to the zoo, are truly going into con- conservation work. And then it's just helping make the zoo even better. The better the zoo can become, you know, the better, the more than we can contribute to the conservation work. So, um, but then it just, I think on your daily life, just being good stewards, you know, when you think about just your pl- use of plastic and, you know, trying to be more sustainable within your own home, that's all helping wildlife. I mean, Plastic is one of the largest um, crises we're dealing with right now in the oceans. And, um, you know, sometimes I think people, because I'm guilty of it too, is like, is my, am I, me doing it, is that really going to make an impact? But if we all have that attitude, then yeah, it's not going to have an impact. Right. But if we all just do it, it'll be. So it's worthwhile to do the, the paper straws versus the plastic straws. I think so, okay. yes. <laughs> those things are the worst. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I might know me. You know, sometimes I, sometimes it can get a little over. You know what I mean? I, I try to be – I try to be – I'm not like one of those people that are out on the streets like, ah, you know what I mean? But I think we do have a – you know, I try to do I try to do what I can, you know. And, you know, I always – I do use K-cups, and I always joke that – I don't have kids, so it off balances. So my con- my <laughs> contribution to conservation is far exceeding anyone that uses K cup. So <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> so my last question is: You obviously you come into work. There's there's animals all over. Does it ever lose the magic and the appeal to you? Never, never. I. I get teary-eyed about it sometimes. Like watching that draft barn going up right now, I'm like a little kid. I've been out, I'm out there every. I was trying to knock the mud off my boots before I came in here because I was out there this morning, just standing there staring at it. Um, every time I see the rhino, I just can't even believe that we have a rhino that we can. And he's like a puppy dog. He comes up and lets you scratch him, and it's just no, it never does. It's like the first day, and every time we get a new species or it's just like waiting for it to come back from the airport i, I literally feel like i'm that 14 year old kid again on the farm waiting for my <laughs> you <know? Yeah. laughs> i'm a big rhino guy i I have, I have a few more questions before we wrap up yeah. one so you mentioned you were the mongoose guy yes for a while um have you been to hawaii I have, yeah. So there's a lot of mongoose in Hawaii. There are, yeah. And I think, so correct me on this, it was they had a rat problem, at least on Maui, and then they brought in the mongoose to combat that, but then the issue was the mongoose was up during the day, the rats were up during the night. 
Yeah, and so now they have rats and mongoose. Yeah, and the problem is I think that they, they, any invasive species like that that wasn't a natural, you know, the mongoose that I oversaw were the banded mongoose in Africa where they had a purpose for being, you know, they evolved mm-hmm. there and it was a purpose. But, yeah, anytime you introduce those invasive species, it becomes a problem. So there are a lot of those species like meerkats and mongoose. Um, they're called injurious wildlife. So as a zoo, when we come in, we have to have special permitting through the wildlife conservation departments to even get those animals. And they have to come out and inspect. You have to have double containment. There can't be any chance that those animals um, could get out into the natural world because, I mean, they couldn't survive here in this winter. But um, but you don't want those animals being able to reproduce. Or, you know, down in Florida, that's what's happened with the boa constrictors. I meant the pet trade has just pythons oh there's pythons everywhere and it's messing up the everglades and eating prey you know it's so those invasive species can be tough and that's so i'm not the brightest guy but like i was so shocked when you go to maui like they don't they don't play around with you're not bringing seeds in obviously not (laughs) bringing animals in and you go there and there's like no snakes you have to worry about um i think mongoose rats hogs i know that but like very few and that's why they just want to kind of keep their oasis as it is it is yeah because the smallest thing can Oh, the put that sm- off tilt. Yeah, there's yeah. If, if you ever want to look it up, um, it's I can't. I wish I would know the exact name of it, but it's how the wolves change the flow of a river, and it's a really cool thing that talks about how literally the uh, how a wolf can change the flow of a river. Um, and it's kind of a cool read. It's a little extreme, but it talks about you know it's it's you know it's the grass that grows, it's the animals that it's the wolves that kill the prey, the prey that. It, and then it has to do it literally goes down to the level of the grass that grows along the river, and then when the grass is gone because there's no deer, it. It literally, like their existence changes the flow of a river. And it's a really cool thing to look up if you ever read it. And it just shows how one species can literally infect an entire ecosystem. Yeah, it looks like just Googling how wolves change rivers. And yeah. yeah, there's a lot of there's lot Yeah, of it's, a, it's a really cool read if you want to ever um, read it because it does show the impact. And both ways, I mean, to lose, that's why the other thing, to lose a species can have such a major impact too, you know. Those African mongoose, they can really hold their own against a cobra. Oh, they can, yeah. They're really? pretty tough. Yeah, they're pretty That's tough. That's awesome. <laughs> that gets me jacked up, Josh. I'm not going to lie to you. That gets me jacked up. <laughs> so Kyle is a Cubs fan, which yeah. is ostensibly, you know, a baby bear. And I'm a Tigers fan. <laughs> You're throwing a cub and a tiger in the octagon. <laughs> Who is coming out? We have this discussion all the time. Well, oh, what man. kind of bear are we talking about? Ooh. Because that's a big difference. I mean, question, about a, question like, what is the best kind of bear? <laughs> <laughs> I was say, waiting to drop that one. Now, we're talking about a Kodiak bear or a polar bear. I mean, those are pretty aggressive. Those are animals that take on whales and seals. And, What's the biggest bear, polar? Uh, probably the, the Kodiak. Kodiak? Yeah, Kodiak out in Alaska. And, yeah. Um, the, I would say they're their strongest, but, you know, if it's a native American bear, probably a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> What's your thought on moose? They're pretty big, huh? Oh, they're an amazing animal. Yeah. I finally, when I went to Utah, I took a hike, and I was the entire time is what I was looking for, and I finally, and I was more jacked up than I thought when I saw them. They're just absolutely gorgeous. You know what's funny? You always think about Africa and Asia and all these animal, these animals being so exotic, and like, oh, that'd be so cool to have those animals, and we kind of underappreciate the animals yeah. we actually have here in North America. You take a look at a moose or a porcupine. I mean, they are crazy animals <laughs> i told you growing up in kansas one of my childhood memories was i was at my grandparents and this is like central like wichita area i yeah, guess yeah 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 um and my grandfather like or my grandmother screams my grandfather goes out back and there's a mountain lion just in the backyard hanging out yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh i mean he just went out there and he took like a cane that he had and he just like scared it off and it ran off but it was like 
it's not that uncommon for no. out in the prairie to see like mountain lions mountain or big lions. cats. Yeah, yeah. Mountain actually, lions, cougar, pumas, that's the same thing. Yeah, it's kind of the they're, they're all the same thing. That's kind of where the, the regions where they come from. Okay. They call them panthers in Florida, more, more mountain yep. lions okay. in the Rockies. Um, they're a little different sizes and stuff, but they're ultimately all the same. So the last two questions we asked, I think you answered the advice one pretty good with Jordan on like what people can do. Um, the question I have is, as the man that runs the show at the zoo, what does a typical day look like for you? I think most people can picture what it looked like for you know one of the zookeepers or someone working in missions. What's a typical day look like for you? Let's say a summer day when it's full blast. So I have a lot of meetings. Okay. <laughs> um, so I meet with all my department heads um, on a regular basis. So um, you know because I'm as the director, I'm involved in everything from the retail to concessions to the events that we have. Um, but we've got a really great team at the zoo that manage all that. So I just have touch bases. Um, but that's what I love about my job. Um, when I'm done with this, I'm going to go back and I have a tour um, that I'm going to be doing and we're going to be meeting the rhino. So I'll get to do all that kind of stuff for donors. Um, and then I'll have a construction meeting and start talking about the drafts and then planning that. Um, I've, I'll, I'm a really probably chew hands on. I'm, I'm bad about like, I'll, you, it wouldn't be uncommon to see me mowing the zoo because <laughs> I sit all, everyone says, Oh, Josh is stressed today. Cause I'm either leaf blowing or mowing the zoo. Um, cause I enjoy the outdoor work. Um, I love, like I said, exhibit design. So I get involved in, um, designing all the little habitats that we build and working on with the keepers and stuff to do that kind of stuff. Um, but it's a little all over the place. Um, community engagement's a huge thing. So, you know, um, I'll be involved in Rotary Club. I'll be, um, doing all that kind of stuff. So it, it's great because it's not just a set office job. It's a little bit of everything. So. And we're thrilled to have you in South Bend. Hopefully you're here for the long haul. I plan Keep, on uh, it. The, the zoo is absolutely amazing. Take some time to plug away. So like upcoming dates people should know about, where to get tickets, social media. Absolutely. Fill yeah. everybody in. And the zoo is. We don't even have drive. I mean, we, you're going to see a new tiger exhibit. You're going to see we're trying to do a concession bear exhibit at the zoo. So the next two to three years, you're going to see a major change in the zoo. So it's a really exciting time. Um, but, yeah, so April 2nd, the zoo opens. Uh, officially for the season. We do have one more winter day. Uh, it's not this Saturday, but it's the next Saturday. Um, and then uh, just check us out online because we have our education programs. Camps have gone up. Our zoo camps are a great way for kids to be able to start kind of getting a taste of the zoo. We have, you know, junior zookeeper classes. They get to meet animals, be outside at the zoo. Um, and then our events, we're going to be doing zoo brew this year. That's a big one. Um, we have an eat and drink uh, that's going to be in May. That'll be really cool because there'll be food all over the zoo. And, you know, you can have a drink and have food. Uh, we're going to be staying open until 8 in the summertime, which is going to be really awesome. great. So it's June, July, August. That's a new thing to stay open in the evenings and have some third Thursdays with some bands there. Just really making it. It's not just for the little kids anymore. It's a place that young adults can come. Old adults, it's, it's for everyone. It's a family place. So um, this year's, you know, last year was tough. And this year I think we're going to have a, a rebound. So we're pretty excited. I do have one more question. Uh -huh. How do the animals take fireworks? Are they okay with it? It's funny is they are actually. I don't know what Man, it is. I it's thought we could take this to tell people to quit doing fireworks from well, mid-June <laughs> to mid-July. <laughs> you know, we worry about, we have people on 4th of July, we do have people, that extra people that stay at the zoo to watch. Um, but uh, they, it, but it's more for fire purposes if anything comes into the zoo. It's funny how our domesticated animals, like the dogs, really freak out. But the other animals don't seem to really, we don't really have that much. I guess in their them. DNA, they have bigger issues I guess, <laughs> yeah. than fireworks. Yeah. Can you hear the lions roar from... X amount 
Oh, oh you can't. I, there's neighbors that – it's funny because when you're in the zoo, it doesn't seem as loud, but I've been out at friends' house that live near the zoo, and that's one of the top things we hear is, oh, we hear the lions roar that's every morning. That's so cool. It echoes through that whole area, that whole green lawn area and around the zoo. They can all hear the lion roar. That's real cool. Yeah. This was a ton of fun. Cannot thank you enough. <laughs> we can talk we're, all day about the zoo. Yeah, we're uh, – <laughs> We're big zoo guys. We're going to obviously be there. Um, yeah, we'll I know. have to come get a tour. I'll come, oh, come yeah. to the zoo. We'll give you guys behind the scenes. Love and Come it. meet the animals. Love it. I know when my family comes to town, one of the first things they ask is zoo, zoo, zoo. They yep. absolutely love it. Good, so good, good. we've been coming for years. This, obviously, huge zoo guy. So, yeah, we'll take you up on that. We can't wait to push people to the zoo this summer. And thanks for coming by today, giving us some of your time. No, we this was great. It. No, thank you, guys. You'll meet everybody I know. First, it might seem like a lot, but they all play and they rope with that on anything that I got in all I care about is my city, man, I can't say it enough I done heard things about y'all that they can't say about us I just hold it down for my side, I just hold it down for my set I give everybody a piece of this and I make do This has been a production of the Alpha Dog Podcast Network Find more shows at alphadogagency.com slash podcast